0: okay good morning everybody and welcome to the daily energy markets podcast it is monday may 15th Uh, i suppose that signals halfway through the second quarter Uh, Let's kick off this morning with Omar Najia, Global Head of Derivatives at BB Energy, uh, our Monday morning quarterback, if you like. Uh, Omar, oil prices uh, drifting a little bit sideways down in early trade in Asia this morning, but ultimately seems to be kind of uh, stuck back down in that low 70s range. Not much direction in this market at the moment. What's your reading this morning?
1: Um, so basically, we've done two things. We 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 tried to set a low at whatever it was, $64, dollars. Um, $64, let's call it. Bounced up to about eighty four, and then fell back to where we are now, where we were basically sixty three fifty. Call it. Bounced up again to eighty three, and now basically we're drifting off again. So I think I think the market is trying uh, to find a low. Um, I'm optimistic that it will. Where that low lies exactly is anybody's guess. So the only thing that you can say now is that, you know, the lows in place at 63, I think 64 exactly. Um, and the market's trading around uh, $70 plus or minus. So uh, we'll wait to see. So let's see. But it looks it keeps it keeps falling, bouncing, falling, bouncing. And it's it's a kind of a smaller pattern than what it did from the beginning of the year. So for December, it also did these moves where it did nothing, and now it's doing them at a kind of uh, smaller degree. So it'll be interesting to see which uh, which way this goes. But I'm I'm still thinking higher,
0: higher. Uh, the 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 direction of travel uh, appears to be each time that. Um, this market finds a, 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 a quiet, it, it wants to settle downward rather than upward. Jorge Montepicu, president and founder of Global Markets. Jorge, what's your read on the general trend of direction of this market? And what are the greatest, greater forces trumping, is demand weakness trumping supply constraint?
2: Well, you have one major positive, and a super big negative. The major positive has been the exit of China from the COVID policies and the ongoing increase in demand consumption patterns returning to normal. But the biggest global impact is from the higher interest rates. The disposable income from the people that can spend i.e. the higher earners, is being pared down by the outflow into their mortgage sustainment. In many cases, and I think we discussed this a few months ago, the mortgage interest portion has more than doubled in many countries. This naturally results in less disposable income for people to spend in other things. Uh, Very critically, jet uh, fuel is not performing because the growth that we expected in travel is not quite happening to a degree that we were expecting because the higher interest is eating into that disposable income. Uh, As you know, the US just increased interest rates again, uh, as well as the UK and various others So the chew up of the disposable income continues apace. Uh, Based on the most recent inflation readings, year on year, the situation has has come down enormously. So I belong to the group, and there are many economists uh, in in that camp that think that interest interest rates have either peaked or are about to peak. So the situation is going to get a little calmer as we head into the second half of the year. and uh, But in the meantime, as the previous speaker has indicated, we are trying to find a law here. But it's not a route. It's, it's going down until there are clearer signals. And the other big thing we have, and I'll stop with that, is the national debt uh, ceiling in the U.S., which uh, seems to be heading into a big internal fight between the Democrats and the Republicans, but that adds to the overall sense that the global economy is not doing so well because the U.S. plays such a big role.
0: Let's welcome Dr. Andre Belli, Professor, Founder, and CEO of Baldesson, uh, sitting in Estonia. Andre, there seems to be a lot of counterintuitive uh, dynamics that continue uh, across the world and particularly in Europe which can you know in some ways continues to defy the the gravity of economic weakness and 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 yet to succumb to uh, uh, too much uh, uh, recession and weaker forces what's your outlook for the energy demand picture in Europe as we go into to the summer months
3: well uh, the energy demand overall is recovering and what is interesting is that The European Union has committed to further decrease uh, the European gas demand by another 15% uh, in 2022, but uh, gas demand is actually recovering as well. And uh, particularly, this uh, commitment to reduce uh, gas demand is difficult for the larger economies like uh, Germany and Italy. So they struggled to decline. To decrease their gas demand last year, and this year they might have further uh, struggles to do so. Uh, so I would say the main game is played uh, with um, Italy and uh, Germany, and uh, of course the main concern for the European Union is not to is not only to uh, mitigate uh, demand growth, but also to uh, diversify energy flows from Russia. Uh, And that adds to the existing challenge of the energy saving objective.
0: Omar, we we've seen the dollar uh, uh, sort of demonstrate some kind of a rally. Uh, Reached a five week five week high at the end of last week uh, after a long sort of period of of, of declines. Uh, what does that indicate to you, or anything regarding the direction of travel for commodities? A strengthening dollar may signal weakening weakening demand uh, issues.
1: No, I, uh, uh, I mean, you know, um, you can look at it in many ways, but the dollar is expected to rise a little bit. Uh, the dollar index is trading somewhere around uh, uh, last week. It was trading 101. I think it needs to get up to maybe something 108%, something like this. Euro and GBP both fall. So euro goes from 110 down to, let's say, 103 And the GBP falls from 125 down to maybe like 115, something like that. But that's small scale. That's, you know, next couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks, something like that. But trend-wise, the dollar is going to go lower and the euro and the GBP are going to go higher. Um, And the reason for that is that the dollar rallied for 12 years plus um and that rally came to an end uh earlier this year in our view so i think basically short term you see the dollar rally uh let's call it a month but further than that going forwards i think you're going to see the, the the dollar weaken. uh now you can look at it any way you want you can say oh it's china or you can say it's because somebody something fell on somebody's head or whatever it is but it's simply correcting move up that lasted 12 years so this fall in the dollar is not going to be over in a day or a week or even a month but it's going to be a long protracted event it took 12 years to get to where it is and it's going to correct maybe for three five it's difficult to say but for a long period of time so i don't believe that things have a you know currency like uh you know the dollar has a direct correlation to uh, uh whatever oil and that you know dollar goes up so oil goes down uh, there is no statistically valid correlation uh, between the two. Uh, maybe you can measure it for a week or a day or something, but nothing—nothing uh, nothing that you can base uh, a trade on. Um, so that's the view on on the currencies uh, against uh, against oil and against other commodities. They each do their own thing.
0: Jorge, we have uh, one of the dynamics in the market as as this sort of weaker demand outlook uh, uh prevails as you indicated the biggest factor being the rising the rapid rise in interest rates over the last year uh, sort of finally suppressing demand in the west at least and uh, an asian recovery in china in particular not being dynamic enough to counter that weaker demand outlook in the g7 uh Where does OPEC navigate this? We've seen a cut in October. We saw another cut that took effect this month. They're due to meet again in person for the first time in six months, I believe, in June in a few weeks' time. How is OPEC to navigate this? Should we expect more aggressive action on their part?
2: Well, again, looking at it from a higher level, I think the expectation is that oil consumption will grow this year. So in terms of demand, despite all these economic issues we are discussing, demand is growing. However, supply is also growing, right? From Canada, from Guyana, from various places. So OPEC is in a very precarious situation where it needs to really balance out both sides and the impact of interest rates. And let's not forget, there is still a war going on. I think they took the right step in announcing the May to the end of the year roughly uh, cut, the 1.16. But as one of my sources was indicating earlier last week, they announced 1.16 cut, but we will only know post May 31st whether they really cut or not because the data has yet to come in. Uh, as we look at the data, look at the prices for say Brent. Brent is mildly in backwardation, indicating that there is some rebalancing where people have to pay a premium for their oil. But it's not a lot, it's just a little bit. And if history is a guide, I think the announced cuts are not going to be as big as the real cuts. So in the meeting in June, if OPEC wants a price above $70, they will really need to cut, like for real, not just for for media consumption.
0: Do you think there is, uh, I mean, the recent cuts, October was a sort of pan opec plus agreement but the recent one that took effect this month was described as somehow voluntary outside of the parameters of the of the opec plus 22 countries or so uh does that matter does that signal further stress going forward because uh, at the end of this year of course this current opec agreement expires is there an infrastructure for opec plus to continue as they Only few cut or not everybody participates. What's your outlook for the alignment of OPEC as these things are challenged?
2: Well, I think everything is actually out there. It's just whether we're able to see it or not, how we interpret it. The reason OPEC called it voluntary is because they couldn't agree on a mandated cut by the organization because if they had agreed as a group to cut then it becomes OPEC cuts once it is voluntary it's kind of like let's signal something out there and let's see if we adhere to it so the challenge for the upcoming meeting is to button down those those cuts while at the same time not to essentially condemn yourself to irrelevance as production increases in, you know, in other areas, right? Uh, but I think as we head into the meeting, they will have to signal strongly that they're cutting, not just voluntarily cutting. So they, they need to massage the media with facts rather than with statements.
0: Dr. Belly, I wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, the expectation, the, the news that has been published over the weekend that the G7, which is meeting in, in Japan at the end of this week, will look to uh, ban uh, Russian gas imports into Moscow on a permanent basis, rather than uh, some sort of temporary structure that is in place since the start of the war. Uh, is that semantics? Is it a significant step uh, in the breakdown of this relationship between Europe and Russia? What's your uh, reading of this decision, if indeed it goes forward when G7 meets on Friday?
3: Well, the, um, let's nuance the uh, the news a little bit. Okay. Uh, uh, what the EU wants to ban and what is likely to be banned by G7 are the gas flows that have been interrupted, mostly by Russia, via uh, Yamal-Europe pipeline, so Russia, Poland, Germany, or Nord Stream pipeline. So theoretically, this, uh, especially the Yamal-Europe pipeline, they can be relaunched, but they are not functional, so they are frozen. Uh, also, uh, theoretically, one can still use the remaining line which was not exploded of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which was still not certified by Germany. Uh, so the objective now is to is to ban, or let's say, uh, not to make possible to use these idling uh, flows from Russia to Europe because the European Union has already managed to find alternatives and has managed to deal without. And this signal is sent primarily to those market players who are still expecting it to happen, and also to Moscow, where we see some attempts to go back on their decision to, um, to interrupt flows via uh, Yamal Europe because you know, in December, uh, some uh, Russian officials started to say like, okay, we can uh, leave the sanctions imposed by Russia on the Yemal-Europe pipeline. And that basically would imply that the flows would restart. And this ban basically annihilates these initiatives. And to answer your question, how it will change, Well, uh, for now, it doesn't change much. Much depends on how the LNG market will go, Uh, whether the United States will indeed provide sufficient export capacity, or the domestic gas demand in the United States will kind of like halt this enthusiasm for exports, or uh, whether... mm, Additional export capacities existing in Qatar will go mostly to China or they will go to Europe, and both options are possible. So let's say um, most of the issues are played on uh, on LNG markets. Let's
0: get the survey question in, again, just addressing the thesis of earlier discussion, uh, where is the... um, The sort of trend influence at the moment, Uh, rapid rise in interest rates, uh, particularly obviously US, EU and UK, is trumping oil demand recovery in China and Asia. Uh, Agree or disagree, the price softness ultimately is due to rapid rise in interest rates, trumping oil demand recovery in China or Asia. Omar, as you look into the uh, the sort of technicals crystal ball, are the structures still in place to signal direction or are the structures now, you know, 50-day moving averages, 200-day moving averages, et cetera, uh, are, are they guiding the way forward or are they now no longer giving direction?
1: No, we don't look at, like, 50-day moving averages or crosses or – Anything to do with that? We look, li- we trade the market um, uh, using technicals, but technicals that are called based on Elliott Wave. So it's completely different to, uh, you know, moving averages and all that kind of stuff, which I think is, um, you know, or went out of fashion a while ago. Uh, but let's take a look a little bit at like uh, demand, right? So demand is going down because of interest rates in the US. Um, well, maybe, but I think a tiny bit. So consumers. They don't actually look and say, you know, interest rates are quite high now. Uh, I'm going to take only one car journey or interest rates are quite high. So I'm going to basically sit in the room uh, and heat that one and not heat the others. But, uh, you know, real life doesn't work that way. Similarly, with travel, you don't basically say that. I mean, people usually travel once, twice, three times, four times a year. I don't know. But you don't sit there and look at your kids and say, you know, kids, I'm really sorry, the interest rates have moved up to 5%, so there's no holiday this year. I mean, real world, right? And then you go look at what consumer demand is and what real demand is. So real demand isn't consumer demand. Real demand is basically industrial demand, okay? So that's one side. Let's look again at sanctions. So there was a great report uh, by The Spectator, which everybody should read in the UK, saying that Western sanctions have failed and failed miserably. The Spectator is basically a newspaper, uh, a political paper, a political magazine, if you like, in the UK, which was uh, edited uh, at one point by Boris Johnson. So that's giving you an idea of what's going on politically. So the idea is basically that, you know, this is all going well and, and Europe is moving away from Russian gas and all this kind of stuff. is just a pipe dream. So Europe is buying Russian, let's talk about oil. Russian is, Europe is buying all Russian oil products, but they're not buying them from Russia. They're buying them from North Africa. They're buying them from Turkey. They're buying them from South Africa. It's the same oil, except... They pay more for it, which is fine. Same with gas. It's, I mean, it's in, in it's, that, it's, that
0: regard. I mean, I, when one gets into definitions of failure and success uh, of sanctions, in particular, at this point, not, um, not mine.
1: This, this is the political. This no, is the, the political magazine in the UK. I,
0: I appreciate it. The relevance of the Spectator and the relevance of the UK well, to me is somewhat true. minor. Uh, the The idea that uh the success as some by some benchmarks and i think by washington dc's benchmark would be oil prices in the low 70s is success because the continuation of russian oil flow uh to the world was essentially the strategy of the price cap structure and so the continuation of flow at a lower oil price, one in Washington, I would expect Joe Biden is probably not too disappointed right now.
1: Well, I mean Joe Biden, if he said something, he said basic I mean he probably doesn't remember, but he said that the ruble would be 200. He said that the uh, the whole West, the G seven, said that the Russian economy would collapse. Blah blah but blah. Nonetheless, blah. on
0: the oil price point and the supply <laughs> flow, they never That's... said
1: anything about oil prices. They said basically that they're going to stop buying Russian oil. They haven't. No, gonna no. stop buying they
3: never tried they never no no omar you no, nobody me, said i'm sorry for interrupting interru- yes but the thing More is that nobody better. wanted to uh Russia, for russian oil to go out because that would indeed drive the prices to 150 dollars per barrel and then even with the discount that russians would have they would have hundred dollars per barrel in their in their budget which which the West didn't want. The idea was exactly that, that you limit the price, you keep the flows on, and then you increase the costs for the Russian producers in this market and that actually happened. It didn't happen according to what the West wanted, true. But uh, Russian uh, industry, particularly the industry, bears huge costs because they have to pay uh, royalties domestically. Royalties go up because uh, the state needs budget. And then all the costs you have to occur in order to ship oil to India and stuff like this, uh, basically uh, are bared by the industry as well. Plus yeah, you but- have sanctions on, let me finish. Plus you have sanctions on on, um, uh, on technologies and equipment. So the the, uh, the real costs on long-term Russian economy are huge. The, who are the winners from this are exactly the countries who take the Russian oil uh, for their refining and then sell to Europe. They are indeed winners in the game, like India, but certainly not Russia. And indeed, the West, the Western expectations were not met, but I don't think they are very much disappointed about how the situation is going. Right, well, I, think the yep.
1: that, I think the difference between the two views, basically, is strategy. The Russians are doing strategy. Europe is doing, and the G7 is doing tactic. So all, all understood, Andre, that the Russians are going away. They don't care about these pipelines, this, this. they There's no longer any trust with the West. Forget it. Absolutely forget it. Europe wants to cut down demand by 20%, 50%. Fine, let them go ahead. And it will cost the Russians, sure, but they are moving away from the West. And that's inevitable. So basically, the West now, the economies of the West will swing. You have basically the global South. All of them have sided with Russia. Nobody's interested. Not not because because it's, it's a political decision, but because of hypocrisy. You can't have people basically have in this day and age, uh, uh, a hypocritical view. You do what we say, not what we do. So you tell India, you can't buy Russian oil, but we can. So this this is a real well, problem Well, they're buying Russian
0: oil through India, it seems to be, exactly. rather than. Uh, Jorge, last word with you on some of these issues. I wanted to uh, get your sense. Obviously, the, the supply continues. We've seen a report today that global inventories, uh, according to, um, a report, uh, at least on, on, on a Reuters report that I was reading today, global petroleum stocks normalize after, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're basically at 10-year seasonal averages. Uh, your thoughts on where that supply-demand balance is and Russia's piece in that? Uh, we're not seeing much cuts from them either, are we?
2: Yeah. They're obviously going to sell as much as they can. And I think the cut, They have announced is a recognition of the difficulties they have to sell some incremental oil. But they have been very successful in developing their outlets elsewhere to India, to China, to other countries. And I think Morocco was announcing in the past couple of days that they're going to buy Russian oil as well. But it was very interesting for me to uh, hear the the debate going on here uh, in the past few minutes. And I just wanted to add that there was whether it was said or not, um, objective by the US and the West to either drive down the price of oil, plus cutting the supplies from Russia to punish them, as well as economically prevent a rise that would damage the Western economies. A large part of that strategy was born by the US. And, the the main tool they use was by depleting their SPR. Let's not forget that. That depletion of the SPR is getting to a level that it has now become a political issue inside. And the US secretary and the Biden administration are under pressure to start buying back and refilling that SPR. So part of the low price we have seen in the last year is that steady release from the U.S., which you could say was 700 to 750,000 barrels a day. So that's like another country, another producer exporting. That is ending in June. There is still oil in the SPR, but I think going forward, that that's, may turn into a buy-in rather than a sell-out. And that is going to alter very much the dynamics. And... I don't think anybody wants this war to continue much longer. Uh, what I notice right now is that there is heavy posturing as the uh, counteroffensive by Ukraine uh, effectively has, has started. But going forward, we are going to see a continuing impact of interest rates. I'm sorry for taking an extra minute. Please. I will agree with Omar that interest rates don't, don't affect anyone. Obviously, it doesn't affect the people that have a lot of disposable income, but the people that have done their numbers very carefully to buy a house and suddenly their mortgage goes up a lot, they will cut in other spending. So with that, thank you, everybody.
0: Uh, Dr. Andre, I just wanted to quickly get a final comment for you. I forgot to ask you earlier on the outcome from the Turkish elections. It seems like it's going to a runoff. Uh, Is this... A surprise is a matter. Will will Sweden get its membership of uh, of NATO? What are your immediate thoughts on the first round?
3: It is very difficult to predict yet. Uh, so let's see how it's going. What is important with uh, politicians like Erdogan is not only to beat them in an election, but also to convince them. Uh, to recognize the election results. Let's see after the game is played. Um, So, and in addition to that, Let's see what the new leadership will do. Uh, I would wish to have somebody here on the panel uh, who would have insight information about uh, the Turkey politics uh, and how would it affect uh, the Sweden's uh, accession to NATO. But either way, Sweden's accession to NATO doesn't play much. What actually NATO wanted is to have Finland, because Finland borders Russia, not yeah, Sweden. yeah, yeah. And, uh,
0: well, we'll have to wait and see there, but certainly a, a very, very important country is uh, Turkey, and the direction of travel there will matter for many, certainly across the Middle East and Central Asia. Omar Naji, as always, thank you so much for your insights this morning. Jorge Montbecue in the UK and Dr. Andre Belli in Estonia. Thank you for your thoughts and insights this Monday morning as oil trades a little bit softer at the start of the week, below uh, $94 a barrel on Brent. Thank you so much. All the best.